this week, Harrison Ford returns to the franchise that put him on the map. Oh, are we covering even more American graffiti? See, in the new one, Harrison Ford's character, Bob Falfa, is still a police officer, but this time he's on the beat, busting young vandals in Modesto, California for actual graffiti. That's not a movie. Why would you even make that horrendous pitch? I just got hired at Warner Brothers. Well, we're talking about Return of the Jedi. It's, it's the, the Ford, Ford Fiesta! Fiesta. Welcome to the Ford Fiesta. I'm Adam Wickett. And I'm Paul Patine Preston. Joining us later in the show is an old friend, but it turns out we don't talk movies enough, so we've scheduled time. He's a stand-up comic whose special dog godfather can be watched for free right now on YouTube, and he's perfecting a new stand-up show now performing all across the country. We, of course, also know him from the movie trivia Schmodown, a show he co-created and co-hosted with Christian Harloff. I'm talking about the one, the only, Mark Ellis. Yes, and if you watch Ellis' stand-up, you know he has a particular take on Return of the Jedi that's going to make for a great segment, so stick around. And as ever, we'll recap this week's film, but if you don't know what Return of the Jedi is, let me introduce you to the internet and electricity. It closes arguably the greatest movie trilogy in history and cements our hero Harrison Ford as the world's greatest hero. From here on out, he won't get out of his career without everybody wanting to see every movie he makes every year. But first, speaking of the internet... Yes... That's right, it's time for Harrison Ford news. What is new in the world of Harrison Ford? Well, it turns out Harrison Ford is actually joining the MCU as Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross for Captain America New World Order and presumably the Thunderbolts film as well. I call this as a, a tough call last week because you get into the MCU, that's 10 years, right? And he's already 80. But uh, yeah, why slow down? Why, why as, as Clint Eastwood says, let the old man in? I mean, and also, come on, one more franchise for Harrison Ford before he hangs it up? That's awesome. And Marvel, getting Harrison Ford, Marvel has just so steadily added these great actors. Harrison Ford in the Marvel Universe, this is, this is for legitimate celebration. We should have an entire party just for this happening while we're doing this show. And did you see the Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania trailer? I did not. I wait to watch those things on my TV. I don't watch them on my phone. Can I tell you a face that was in there? Please. Bill Murray. <gasps> Bill Murray has entered face. the MCU? Yeah. So, I mean, again, to, oh to your point about bringing in any and everybody who's oh. awesome, uh, that's pretty damn cool. So, Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. So Harrison Ford going to be joining for a couple of films, perhaps more. And a famously irascible character, like a great Marvel grump has been cast with uh, Harrison Ford. I don't know if you guys should get in there and fight all that crime. I don't like how you're doing that. <laughs> Wilson! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Get in here. Uh, elsewhere in the news, One House Bakery, it's called, in Benicia, California, spent a month making a six-foot recreation of Han Solo and Carbonite out of bread. Ooh. They call it Pan Solo. And it is uh, a marvel to behold, no pun intended, but go check it out uh, when you get the chance. Just search Han Solo bread. It'll come up, and then you'll be amazed at what this bakery has done. I mean, we we talk about, especially in the Raiders show, we talk about minting 
classic Hollywood frames or classic icons. I mean, Han Solo and Carbonite, man, that is just the iconography of these movies, particularly Jedi, is just yeah, incredible. I mean, the, remember the very first time someone like made a reference to that and was like, or they made the carpet, right? Yeah, you know, they made the, you're like, oh, what a great reference. Uh, people have forgotten about that. The fridge <laughs> you <know>. door. Yeah. <laughs> the fridge door, all that stuff. And if you Google Harrison Ford News, what does that usually mean, Adam? The Daily Mail. But you I don't get have something from the Daily from Mail. Daily. Yeah. Like, what shirt was Harrison Ford wearing that was tight on him? He did not wear a shirt this week, nor did he return a bicycle <laughs> to a place in Santa Monica. That is exactly. okay. Oh, okay. Well, that's uh, good because we don't have time for that. We got to get uh, Mark Ellis in the show. But there was other news when you Googled <laughs> that. And it turns out Park Ridge, Illinois rejected a Harrison Ford statue in their town. How which, dare uh, they? Well, he went to high school there. But yeah. he said he was bullied, and he said it was a difficult time for him. And I think they looked at that and went, well, you're not getting a statue here. Biggest movie star of all time that might make people know where Park Ridge is. So, I don't know. That's disappointing. Should have loved him at the time for the man that he was, not the man he became. That's the lesson there. <laughs> well, one more quick show segment, a recurring show segment, before we get to the recap. And that is... shows uh, once a month maybe <laughs> yeah i know right and We're so we'd have those. a ton of news now we got a one week's worth of stories <laughs> that happened in history to here i love Ford. that there's only one thing that happened this week in history and what is it paul we go back to 2013 october Oliver. 24th the day we're recording this and that is when ender's game was released and this concludes this day <laughs> in ford history <laughs> <laughs> all right that's another but i do want to talk about it yeah I know I haven't seen that. That's one of the ones you know. We started oh, yeah? the show. I knew there was. I thought at the time there was about a dozen or less movies of his that I hadn't seen, which are all later. But it turns out the entire opening of his career, uh, I had not seen either. For me, this was pretty cool because it was the first time I saw Harrison Ford. No, sorry, the second time I saw Harrison Ford at Comic Con. Like you just don't think you're ever going to see Harrison Ford doing stuff when it becomes award season. He's not out doing the Q and A's. Now he seems to be all over the place. He was at Star Wars uh, Celebration this year and other things. But I remember when Ender's Game came out, he showed up at Comic Con on a Thursday. I always tell people go on Thursday. You walk right into Hall H. There's no line and see what's going on. And sure enough, Harrison Ford shows. That's when Top Gun Maverick was announced. Surprised Tom Cruise showed up because San Diego, right? And that was a huge deal. And Harrison Ford showed up for Ender's Game. It was a year after he previously shown up for Cowboys and Aliens, and he was in handcuffs as if he was brought there against his will. You know, again, right. always the grub. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he was a little more lively for uh, Ender's Game, or a little more perceiving to be happy to be there. Uh, but either way, just to glimpse the legend, it was cool both times. I love that he came in on an off day for the Comic-Con and you were there because you just wanted to avoid the crowds and you got to see Harrison Ford. That yeah. has a perfect drive down, to it. easy to park, walk right in. I mean, it's the best. Thursday's the day to go. All right. Well, enough Harrison Ford news. Let's get to some old news. The plot of Return of the Jedi in our patented Movie Guys recap. Paging Mr. Ellis. Paging Mr. Ellis. Well done, Adam, and let's bring him in. Hey, it's Mark Ellis. There he is, paging Mr. Ellis. You you page Mr. Ellis, and the wrong Ellis shows up, as it turns out. Can either one of you gentlemen or any of your illustrious fans watching along the live stream say the first name of Mr. Ellis that he was paging? What was the first oh. name of that Mr. Ellis? Yeah, because he got the, it was the wrong one. Paul, I do know this. Please, make us look smart. It wasn't Mark. 
Right. He's asking for one, and then he gets correct corrected by James Coburn, who says, "Oh no, I'm so and so." But I believe it's it feels like a five pointer. Uh, yeah, I think he's looking for Bob Ellis. He's looking for Bob Ellis, and he gets corrected that it's actually Robert Ellis, which is interesting because my brother happens to be Robert Ellis. So this whole time, some, I don't know, eight years before my brother's actually born, Harrison Ford was looking for him. He was tracking down my little brother eight years <laughs> before he was even an itch in my dad's pants. That's the, the attention to detail, that Harrison Ford, much like Spaceballs, the movie is in stores before it's finished. He knew that my brother was going to be the talented one in the family Eight years before it happened. Oh my gosh, that's great. Paging Mr. Ellis. Paging Mr. Ellis. I love that Harrison Ford's very first lines ever in cinema history are paging Mr. Ellis. And of course, since we first saw that, I have thought of you and now you're on the Ford Fiesta. I mean, look, he's a, he's a friend of the family. Uh, Harry and I go way back. And the thing that I always think about with Han Solo or Indiana Jones, any of the characters that Harrison Ford plays, he's sort of got a Bo Jackson quality in that I don't know that Harrison Ford ever actually lifts weights or does any cardio other than the occasional tennis game, but he's just shredded. Like you go back and you watch him in the 80s and in Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom, bulging biceps guys got abs for days he's just one of those guys that is just fit doesn't matter what he's eating doesn't matter what he's drinking he's always in shape and harrison ford news a couple weeks ago covered mads mickelson talking about <clears throat> being in the gym with him during indiana jones 5 and he says it's really? 78 or 79 the guy is jacked and like a beast he called him a beast in the gym still i like that I'm very excited for the release. I, I did talk to our pal Christian Harloff, who was there at D23 when they showed footage. They showed the trailer of Indiana oh, Jones 5, no. and all wow. he texted me that I'm going to lose my mind. It was <sighs> like he said it was close to when him and I were brought to tears at D23 seeing the Force Awakens trailer oh, for the first time. That might actually I. been a Star Wars celebration. When we saw wow. the Force Awakens Chewie We're Home trailer, Christian and I bought oh. our eyes out. There's a great picture floating around the internet of it. And it's Ooh. mainly because at the end of that great trailer, that's where we get to see Han Solo for the first time in, you know, 30 years. And it was just an epic moment, a great return to form for him. And it's funny that y'all bring up Ender's Game because I like that movie. And I feel like that was the movie that you could point to before Force Awakens and say, see, Harrison Ford still gives a rip about this. I thought he was great in that movie. Maybe he mailed in Firewall a little bit, but he was back in his form <laughs> with Ender's Game, with, uh, with with 42, the Jackie Robinson story yes. when he played Branch Rickey's great. And so, look, the guy's an all-time legend, and it's just humbling that he knows my last name and that now I get to hear uh, you guys gush about him, and now we get to celebrate the greatest film in his filmography, also known as the greatest film ever made, Apologies to you, Top Gun Maverick. Return of the Jedi. Ah, now see, it. you don't call it Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, or we just talking casual here in that last sentence. I don't need to because I have worn the fandom of Return of the Jedi. Paul, I can even get away with calling it Jedi. People are going to know which movie I'm talking about. There's a few yeah. movies out there with the word Jedi in the title. We all know which one I'm talking about the most. Right. Indeed. Have you seen Empire of the Sun? No. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen hope oh you mean hope floats yeah it's great sandra bullock amazing <laughs> i knew hope floats here's what i know about jedi it's been a while since i've seen it but i believe luke skywalker's return to his home planet of tatooine in an attempt to rescue his friend han solo from the clutches of the vile gangster job of the hut it's something like that something like that okay that's a pretty good description i'm single by the way that was the first paragraph of the crawl text of return of the jedi
You should get a job uh, uh, describing the plot to Ewoks. I hear there's a, there's a lot of use for that. Don't you dare tease me with that. My dream in life was to be the guy who writes the blurbs on the back of VHS jackets. I think it might have passed me, but that was always the dream, was just those maybe two paragraphs, what the movie's about, sell the movie to folks at video stores. That was the goal. Uh, I would just, if I were you, erase that opening crawl for Jedi from your front page of your Match.com profile. <laughs> Just, I mean, I've been in a relationship for a couple of years, so I don't know. But I'm guessing that may be a step to take. And you travel in your relationship, so that's even more. Imp- I'm not sure what's older. Is Greece older than the galaxy we're watching a long time ago? Is Greece like our planet Jetta? Greece was uh, what? Randall Kleiser, 1978. So that was. Uh, <laughs> That's that's not too long ago. All right, uh, let's get to our recap. Paul, now, you should be in movie trivia sometimes. <laughs> let's get to it. You know what I just watched? Me pulling a can off some morons fist. Return of the Jedi. If you couldn't believe they made a sequel to Star Wars in the first place, then you'll love three years of inevitability for this third installment of the saga. Ah, so this is episode three. Episode six. Got it. That's it? No... Abbott and Costello, who shot first routine about how the number of the film in chronologically released order doesn't match the episode number and it's too confusing. No, but you're saying six and it's only the third movie. What? Yeah. Who's on? What's on second? I got it. And I just want to say, Paul, if you need, I can explain it to you. I mean, you know, I where else am I going to use this fountain of Star Wars knowledge now that there's no movie trivia in a Star Wars League? Yeah, Mark Ellis, <laughs> who's come on the air to apologize for Adam for all the useless information now clogging his brain. Well, yeah, I've got a few facts. <laughs> right, anyway, Return of the Jedi concludes something The Empire Strikes Back kicked off. Three years of discussing the ending to the previous installment. Is Darth Vader Luke's father? If Star Wars and Empire were 70s movies, Return of the Jedi remains the only Star Wars 80s movie, with Ewoks being right at home alongside Michael Jackson, E.T., Mr. T., and Nancy Reagan. And for the third time, the lights dim as the Lucasfilm logo comes up, a pattern we've now been trained to enjoy, the quiet underscoring a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then that suspenseful moment of silence before John Williams announces, the journey has begun. Oh, still feels good, doesn't it? God, it's just, I love those movies for that reason, is that if you're even in the modern era of everybody on their cell phones talking and movies, loud rappers, man, does that shut you up. I like like all these comic book movies coming out now. Nothing shuts up an audience quicker than giant letters with a bombastic score, and you have to read. That's the thing. You can't be on your phone because you got to (laughs) read. And I got to tell you, man, The Phantom Menace, and I'm sure we each of us have that story because it had been, I don't know, 20 years, I forget, since we'd seen a Star Wars movie. Or, and that a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away comes up, everybody applauds and then quickly stops applauding because they yep. want that silent moment. Everybody starts going, shh, 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 and they all applauded and got quiet in time for it. And then that crash, and man, that crowd up for grabs never heard anything like it that's what i love about a, a star wars opening night crowd is that we're a little like like the crowd at like a lambo field or the chiefs home stadium where you just get football so you know when to be loud when the opposing offense is on the field and you know when to shut up when your offense is on the field the crowds yeah. at star wars opening weekends they get it they get how to watch these movies so the opening crawl informs us that the empire has constructed a new death star Yes, the all-new Death Star 2 LX Platinum. 
freedom is here. With double overhead Kyber Crystal Amplifier modules that'll bring peace and security to your galaxy by removing any planet that gets in your way. Freedom for all. The Death Star 2, when you need a manifesto, not a statement. Now, it's still under construction, giving it a cool new jagged Pac-Man of Death design. It's been criticized for being a rehash of the threat from episode four, but if a series having two ships that look the same bothers you, I have some bad news for you about NASA, the Navy, and Star Trek. <laughs> but that's not what this movie is about. Harrison Ford returns in the role that made him famous and a hero to young Adam Witts and Paul oh. Preston's Han Solo. Only Han's ability to point and shout has been hindered by being carbon frozen in The Empire Strikes Back. And he's now decorating Jabba the Hutt's palace like a big eyes painting. So our faithful heroes have hatched an act one to save him. Operation Scoundrel Thaw. The first part of the plan, send C-3PO and R2-D2 into Jabba's palace with a message from Luke Skywalker offering the droids as a gift to Jabba. Don't let the droids know this ahead of time. Then, send in the bounty hunter Boche with an offer to sell Chewbacca to Jabba and make a quick buck on the Wookiee. Boom, bam, yate, yato, you're already up 35,000 credits on this plan. And, finally, before all of that, have Lando Calrissian apply for a job at the palace and make small talk with Hermie Odell for several months. It was so exciting in 1983 for kids raised on Star Wars to finally see Jabba the Hutt after his villainy had been built up for two movies. This would not be the case for the children of the special edition, or special kids, as we call them, who got to be unimpressed by the unmysterious and unthreatening Jabba in episode four. But Jabba's palace did not disappoint, presenting a veritable who's who of what's that. The creatures on display see the original cantina scene and raise it a dozen Gamorrean guards, a couple of yuzums, a reese, two weak ways, and a salacious crumb. That's my guy right there. I love this salacious crumb. And I will say that seeing Jabba's Palace, it was great to see the cantina, and I imagine that they probably have an open mic night. Jabba's Palace <laughs> feels like a full-time comedy club where Jabba's the booker, and so you're auditioning for Jabba. Uh. Salacious crumb is sort of like the accountant, the secretary, and then you have Bib Fortuna, who's just sort of the coordinator. He's the host, if you will. But then you get up on stage, and you either kill or you get killed, literally, by oh, everyone's wow. favorite puppet. Low rancor. Ooh, that's a lot of pressure to perform there. Yeah, I didn't even think of the open mic. Do you think Cy Snoodles has got a tight five? I think Cy is probably the MC, actually, because right. Cy knows how to get an applause break. And the, the real problem with doing stand-up versus music at Jabba's Palace is that when you're playing music, it sort of drowns out what you're hearing below you, which is the rancor, either eating or taking mm. a dump or waking up. When you're doing stand-up, <laughs> if you can hear the rancor, your goose is cooked. Because yeah. you, you hear that, you probably smell that thing. Like, I can't imagine they deodorized it. And my big question about Bosch <laughs> and the transaction between Bosch and Jabba selling the Wookiee, a prized Wookiee, 35 grand, did the direct deposit go through? Did they initiate the direct <laughs> deposit before the sale barge was destroyed? Because 35 large, it's not bad. We're still just a fledging rebellion here, and we need all the cheddar we can get. Did the direct deposit go through? Jabba writes checks deposit <laughs> making a couple extra bucks you know that's an inside scam like bring in chewbacca and then we're just going to take him right out of here and make that money yeah. got his little tiny arms trying to write a check and all i would say is maybe a gate in the floor that opens to some kind of pit wouldn't hurt at the haha -ha cafe anyway in part two in part two of operation scoundrel thaw the bounty hunter Bosch, but bosh 
Nobody Bo- knows. Boosh? I go Bosch, but I'm, I also say Boba Fett. I'm from the South. There you oh. go. Sneaks down to Han Solo in the middle of the night and hits Defrost. Then gets confused as to whether it's asking for you to enter a number for weight or a number for time and just hit start a few times and hope for the best. The carbonite that haunted the nightmares of kids for three years melts away. And Han Solo appears, alive and free. And who would do such a service for our hero? Who is this Boosh Bosh? Why, it's... Someone who loves you. But the lovers are no sooner reunited than they are busted while making out by Jabba, who throws Han Solo in prison with Chewbacca and sentences Leia to wear an iconic metal bikini forever or until Star Wars is bought by a family-friendly brand. Scumbag Castle celebrates their victory of running the board on capturing the rebels and getting a translator, a bar cart, a Wookiee, a smuggler, and a buddy for Salacious Crumb all in one day. Jabba's Paul Schaefer, Max Rebo, and his band strike up the party classic Lopty Neck. See, Jabba's rocking there. Jabba's feeling the flow. And look, I will say this. I guess huts don't subscribe to bro code because I don't care if you're enemies with someone. Han just got reunited with Princess Leia. Jabba, let them have some fun before you throw him in a dungeon with his dog. Let let, let him have a little little smooch at least. Don't infringe on that territory. That's how terrible he is. If you didn't know he was a villain (laughs) until then, like, come on. Is there some sort of like middle ground where throw him in the the dungeon with her i don't hate that idea and chewbacca can just stand in the corner like it's the end of the blair witch project (laughs) as far as as far as thawing out scenes in movie history go this one is right up there with austin powers and encino man the best defrosting scenes in movie history return of the jedi right up there with those two other classics yeah timothy hutton and Iceman came out after this rip off now, Lofty Neck, uh, of course, plays, which the special kids did not get, instead getting Jedi Rocks. Now, why would Jabba request Jedi Rocks? Maybe out of irony? Ah, we got Luke's dog, his buddy, his robots, and that girl he kissed. Hey, Rebo, play Jedi Suck. Oh, wait, no. You know what would be hilarious? Now, just when the Rebels' plan has gone to hell with size noodles dancing on their graves and all seems lost, a mysterious figure enters the palace, force chokes some pig guards and mind tricks Bib Fortuna into showing him the droids he's looking for. It's Luke Skywalker, dressed in black and decked out in a Jedi cloak, looking badass and grown up, having come a long way from the whiny child in Star Wars. Well, an emotional long, not geographically, because he's still on Tatooine. One of the coolest scenes in any of the films is just that garage door opening to reveal this figure, and he just starts walking in. This is the cock of the walk, baby. This ain't the farm boy that left Tatooine. This guy is a Jedi. He's wearing his away uniform. It's good stuff. (laughs) Yeah, think of your Luke Skywalker introductions, you know, running up with the droids in Star Wars, very casual, just sort of there on the Tauntaun, you know, in Empire. But here it's like the long walk and then without even seeing his face, chokes the guard, chokes the guard, you know, and then and then when he gets to Jabba, it actually unveils. It's so good. And if you look closely at his cloak on the back, you see the tap out logo. (laughs) Yes. And the Under Armour when he pulls the hood back. But the Jedi mind trick doesn't work on Watto's or Jabba's, so Luke's requests to release the Rebels and give him a pet Jawa are ignored by Jabba, 
who drops Luke down a trap door into the Rancor pit because it turns out Jedi cockfighting is still legal there. Whoever had money on the pig guard loses quickly, but the late bet on Luke pays out when the Jedi kills the Rancor by tripping the dungeon gate by throwing the skull of Bidlow Corvée. That's right. Star Wars trivia is over, and I'm blowing the secret answers and hoped for five-pointers <laughs> that Nikki DiMilanta was holding in reserve. Anyway, the Rancor Keeper, Malikili, grieves for the loss of the Rancor, named Patissa, and is comforted by the Nikto, Giran. Luke, Han, and Chewbacca are sentenced to walk the plank of the space pirate ship, ticking off another pulp genre box, and sending them to a long, painful death in the stomach of the Sarlacc, a palpable serial cliffhanger tension like no child watching at the time had ever experienced before, grows as Han is asked for his last words, and he delivers. You tell that slimy piece of worm-ridden filth to get no such pleasure from us, right? That's a wingman. That's a wingman. Chewie not necessarily agreeing with Han's tactic of taunting the, the giant desert slug, but Chewie's going to go along with it because Han's his boy and, and Chewie is Han's boy. And this leads us to where you guys are about to go. Another one, possibly my favorite scene in all of Star Wars is just the little salute luke and r2d to have this thing down to a t like a great quarterback receiver combo they just know each other's rhythm r2d2 can throw that lightsaber before luke is even out of his break and you just know that he's going to toe the line make the catch and rip up some shop with that lightsaber a new lightsaber a new one yeah it, amazing Luke is pushed to the edge of the plank as R2 wheels into position. As you say, Luke falls grabbing the platform and flips into the air. As R2 fires Luke's lightsaber into the air, Luke catches it, igniting the green lightsaber, making all the little boys watching on opening night. Shit! There! Pants! Luke then shows Jabba that a hundred men and three ships are no match for one Jedi. All hell breaks loose as Luke tears into the hut lackeys. But his luck's about to run out because the greatest bounty hunter in the galaxy, the badass of badasses, with more unrealized potential per square foot than any other character in the series, Boba Fett, <laughs> flies into the battle on a goddamn jetpack and then is accidentally fired into the Sarlacc by a blind guy goofing about. Okay, it's, it's a bit of a letdown. But also, stuff! So much is going on. Uh, Leah is choking Jabba. Luke is doing acrobatics and busting up punks like we've never seen a Jedi do before. Han and Chewie are rescuing Lando. And Salacious B. Crumb is eating C-3PO's eyeball. The sequence concludes as Luke blows up Jabba's sail barge and recreates the famous rope swing from Star Wars as he and Leia escape the exploding ship and the fiery death of all on board as the smell of burnt yesm blows across <laughs> the Tatooine <laughs> desert. Thus ending arguably the best 30-minute serial installment of a franchise born of serial-style storytelling, which they abandoned, ironically, once they started making short-form entertainment. That's an interesting point you just bring up. I would put Thank the... You. It's this sequence and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, that opening number with River Phoenix. Like, those are two all-time just... We're just gonna, we're back in the world. Here's a fun little adventure before... It's the best appetizer. Luke... And Han and Leia, Lando, Chewie, the whole gang at Jabba's Palace. That is the bloomin' onion of Star Wars. It is the single most popular, best-tasting appetizer before a delicious main course. I mean, this stuff just blew my mind as a kid. My parents endeavored to bring me there on it. We'll get into it, but go on an opening night, and this is happening? I'm like, whoa. <laughs> but enough sand. I hate sand. Isn't this a movie about stars and wars? It sure is, and off we go to the stars to prepare for wars as Han, oh. Leia, Lando, Chewie, and the droids rendezvous with the Rebel fleet. Yes, they have a fleet, unseen in the previous installments with the 
more budget-friendly rebel cell of five or so. But this movie has another beloved character to kill and more Skywalker relatives to unveil. So Luke makes a visit to Yoda, now 900 years old and no longer the spry, lightsaber-wielding youngster he was at 870. Yoda confirms the answer to the question asked on Playgrounds for the last three years, and it's true, I owe Richard Jones five bucks because Darth Vader is Luke's father. You are the father! Die, Yoda does. Disappearing into the Force, but not before first telling Luke that he has one last step before he's an actual Jedi. Defeat Darth Vader, who's no longer a faceless villain, but a major emotional conflict for a Jedi to face. Obi-Wan appears because he has some splaining to do. He tells Luke that Darth Vader's his father, but also, you know, not his father, when you really think about it. Also, Darth Vader invented C-3PO. Luke made out with his sister, and Rick Ollie is Lobot. Mark. <laughs> But enough visiting friends and talking to ghosts like there's no Death Star. There's a Death Star! The Rebel Alliance gathers to make a plan to blow it up. We are introduced to a glorious collection of Admiral Akbar's, Mon Mothma's, and General Maydeen's. No specific Maydeen's? No, just general ones. <laughs> what about prune faces? Oh, there's very specific prune faces. Now, unlike the last time, the Rebels don't have to look for a tailpipe the size of a Womp Rat. The Death Star 2 is a more open concept. You can just walk right in. The openings are more the size of a Famba, Adam. <laughs> but to wedge some X-Wings in there, or even X-Wing some wedges in there, they're going to have to take down the Death Star's shield generator on a neighboring moon known for its lush redwood forests and adorable, huggable wildlife, and rich veins of untapped merchandising opportunities. Endor. An Imperial-occupied moon will require a military insertion. But who will they get to lead this dangerous mission behind enemy lines? Why, somebody with experience doing the exact same thing in Force 10 from Navarone. Harrison Ford. More accurately, Han Solo. Now firmly entrenched in the rebel cause. No longer an outsider, who's even risen to the rank of general. Han Solo will lead the team along with the command crew of Chewbacca, General Leia, and... I'm with you too. Yeah, our boy uh, comes to join the, the fight, but I will point out, Han's a general, and I give Han all the credit in the world for sticking it out. This was not originally his cause. He was like me, just a lone wolf flying around the galaxy, doing gigs, running spice, and he becomes a general in the rebellion, but we, we should point out, how invested in this cause is he if there's no Princess Leia? I mean, let's be real. He ain't coming <laughs> back at the end of A New Hope if there's no Leia. He ain't coming back. He was frozen in carbonite for three years, gets thawed out, and is just right back going after Leia. He doesn't care about the cause. He's, he tells Leia, yeah, fly my ship. I don't care what happens to you. Wherever Leia goes, I follow. He's a dedicated house husband at this point. <laughs> but hey, a classic Han Solo, like, yeah, he's in it for the babes as well. I mean, you know. You can imagine quite a bit. The gang's all together once again as they head to Endor. All they have to do is get past the blockade of Star Destroyers with a previously unexplored piloting skill of Chewbacca's. Keep your distance, though, Chewie. But don't look like you're trying to keep your distance. I don't know. Fly casual. Han Solo has always been the funniest character in Star Wars. Everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? I love you. I know. I used to live here. You're going to die here. Convenient. He's got one-liners, man. He's got jokes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but this is the first time a Star Wars movie is really aware of how funny he is, which makes Han Solo more of a goof, but he has a lot of funny lines and all pulled off with the Harrison Ford charm. Hey, it's me. The Rebels find an Imperial bunker guarded by the coolest version of the Stormtrooper yet, the Biker Scout. That's right, the Empire has bikers. The scouts are alerted to the Rebels and hop on their speeder bikes to usher the return of two of our favorite Star Wars characters, Speed and Forward Motion. <laughs> oh, they fly now! They fly now? They fly now! Luke and Leia do person-to-person -person battle with flying stormtroopers at 100 miles an hour through a forest of obstacles and lasers. Leia crashes far away from Luke, who worries that she's dead. But if she is dead, then heaven is full of really cute, fuzzy, adorable teddy bears because she's revived by the real celebrity of this movie. And this is the Ford Fiesta saying this Wicket W. Warwick, played by a teenage little person who would go on to appear in every Star Wars movie and Willow, Warwick Davis. Meanwhile, the search for Leia takes a turn for the worse when Chewbacca's love of giant rodents gets the group caught up in an Ewok trap. They are surrounded by the fuzzy creatures who are a little less cute in a large group with dozens of spears. The rebel intruders are captured and tied up to be cooked for dinner by the natives, except for one, C-3PO, whose shiny golden body is assumed to be a god by the Ewoks. The Ewoks take the hostages to their massive city built in the trees above the surface of the moon and start building up fires nearby to prepare for a dinner of Wookiee chops. It looks grim for our heroes until Leia appears from one of the huts. Han and Luke are happy to see she survived, but sad to find that she's unable to persuade the varmints to not eat her friends. Luke uses the Force to make their polite British god C-3PO into a more classically recognizable, vengeful god to threaten them into submitting to him. When the dust settles, C-3PO tells the Ewoks the story of Star Wars, which is such a big hit that he ends up having to do double matinees for the next week to keep up with the demand. Lines are around the block. Luke tells Leia the truth, that Darth Vader is his father, and Jar Jar Binks was her doula. And R2-D2 is actually the son of R5-D4. There's a lot. And that he must go and face Vader alone. But the mission to the shield generator has been a disaster so far, except that they've gained an army. A tiny, cute, adorable army. Paplu shows the rebels a secret back entrance to the shield generator and uses the superior Ewok skill of antics to distract the Imperials by stealing a speeder bike, causing others to give chase, leaving the base unguarded. Frequent listeners of this podcast will enjoy a little parallel with Force 10 from Navarone as Harrison Ford sets explosives to blow up an enemy installation. Charges! Come on! Come on! Major, move! See? He's already getting grumpy because he thought he the love of his life just died, and so he's like, what am I even dedicating my life to anymore? He, he was about to mail it in. If Leia doesn't survive, then Han is off that moon in 10 minutes. I can't argue with it. No. But Imperial reinforcements are close behind and bust the crew in mid-sabotage, setting up one of the most famous lines in Star Wars history that is directed to Harrison Ford in reaction to a perfect Han Solo moment. The Imperial officer Dyer, played by sound effects master Ben Burt, charges in, drawing his gun on Solo. Han's first instinct is to throw the bag of charges at him, sending him plummeting to his death, only to let Imperial officer Renz get the draw on him and directing the famous insult to our favorite scoundrel. You rebel scum. Ooh, man, language. <laughs> now, once again, all is lost for the rebels. How will they get out of this one? But before you can say tune in next week, a massive army of Ewoks comes to their rescue, surrounding the Imperials, wreaking havoc, too small to be easy targets, blending in with their environment, and attacking in a force of indeterminable size. The adorable army defeats the Stormtroopers, which many critics have called unrealistic. 
But that's kind of funny because that's what I call those critics who are looking for realism in this movie. The Ewok assault on the Empire was not a Vietnam analogy to viewers in 1983. No more than Star Wars was a nod to the Hidden Fortress to first-time viewers in 1977. That's something we all read in articles and then pretended was obvious later to impress our friends. This is just fun. The ways the scrappy little furballs are able to defend their turf and take down the Imperial machine are fun and very different from any other war sequence in Star Wars. There's redwood-sized log traps, chicken walkers being boarded by a Tarzan-swinging Chewbacca, hang gliding, and all of it somehow just improbably cute. The Ewoks did something amazing because the Ewoks got every kid out of their house for the next 10 years just to go play in nature, to go build tree houses, to build weaponry. And if you think or any movie critics out there think that the Ewoks defeating a bunch of biker scouts, some stormtroopers, Imperial forces tossed in there, I would just take you to three years prior to Return of the Jedi in 1980, when a team of men, nay boys, defeated the USSR to advance to the gold medal game and then win that in the Olympics, the winter version. Mark Ellis, do you believe in miracles? Yes! (laughs) Now this all gives Han enough space to blow the shield generator, triggering a chain reaction that explodes this movie into the third act and leaving the Death Star defenseless. An element of Star Wars style, the third act that intercuts action on several different fronts, comes into its own in Return of the Jedi, as this movie and the trilogy culminates with a land battle on Endor, a Death Star space battle led by the Millennium Falcon, piloted by Lando Calrissian and Nine Numb, and a third battle for the soul of the Force aboard the Death Star between Luke, Vader, and the Emperor. So much is going on in this movie, we haven't even mentioned the Emperor. Just like Jabba, the Emperor has been mentioned in the last two movies, and so enters with several years of playground discussion anticipation. Also, he has four red guards who rule. The space battle has grace, the land battle is convulsive, but the fight against the Emperor is a psychological game as the Emperor tries to turn Luke to the dark side by making him give in to anger. Do it. The Emperor also presents a path for redemption for Anakin Skywalker. If this ultimate evil has a hold on Anakin, then certainly his defeat can redeem Darth Vader. The Emperor tries to trigger Luke's anger, but when the insults your mom kisses fascists and your mom rides a Nexu don't enrage him, Palpatine pulls out the big guns by unleashing the full power of the planet-killing machine to destroy the rebel fleet. It's a trap! That tears it. You're going down, Palpy! Luke gives into anger and tries to kill the Emperor, kicking off a lightsaber duel with Vader. But unlike The Empire Strikes Back, this is a very different Luke. A lightsaber fighter, the equal of Vader's. Of course, now we see where he gets it. Luke gives further into rage until he knocks Vader to the ground and maniacally beats him down and cuts his arm off. Not again. The Emperor cackles at having broken Luke, whose anger seems primed for a fall to the dark side. But Luke is way ahead of him, looking at his robotic hand and realizing the path that he's on. But also, he's now a Jedi. He's completed Yoda's last task, and in an underrated moment, Luke's maniacal anger at the defeated Vader disappears by the time he turns to the Emperor, now calm, and punctuates the Emperor's failure at making him a weapon by throwing his weapon away. But that was lost on kids in 1983 who all yelled, You idiot! (laughs) At him getting rid of his weapon. And they were right because the Emperor unveils a little power of the Sith that had been held in reserve. Lightning hands! He electrocutes the defenseless Luke who calls out for his father to help. It's his only hope. And the rise of the light side of the Force in Luke's ascendance did in fact reach the good inside Anakin. Luke's faith is rewarded as Anakin hits reverse on 30 years of bad choices 
and takes out the Emperor, throwing him down an endless shaft on a planet that's about to explode. There is absolutely no way he could ever somehow return. Now, now, he's he's done. Bury him. Have the funeral. Give him the eulogy. Put him in six feet on. He ain't coming back. I will also say this. It's interesting you point out the tactical error that Luke made by throwing away his lightsaber. We all freaked out. We should not have been surprised because this is the same cat who six years ago had a brand spanking new targeting computer telling him where to shoot the missiles at the Death Star, and he turned it off. He turned it off, and everybody back on Yavin 4 is like, what the hell is the newbie doing? The rookie's freaking out. He's like, don't worry, guys. I got it. There's an old dead wizard talking to me. He's going to (laughs) take care of this. And so we should not have been shocked that six years later, he basically did the move, which is very confident and cocky of him, is that he basically is like he treated the emperor like it's his little brother, and they're playing basketball, and Luke's just going to play with his left hand. (laughs) I got this. Now, during this and the Battle of Endor, Lando, Nine Numb, and Wedge give us a new style of Death Star battle, no longer in trenches with danger on either side, but in a series of tunnels and pipes and construction scaffold as they battle TIE fighters in the heart of the Death Star. But they're no match for the Millennium Falcon. That's right, an X-Wing blew up the Death Star in Episode 4, but in this one, it's the Millennium Falcon. One more mark in the win column for Return of the Jedi. And once again, the Death Star blows up, except in proper sequel ratio, this bigger Death Star blows up twice as much. Darth Vader burns atop a funeral pyre on Endor as the Rebellion celebrates a decisive victory, for now. While all dancing and celebrating to the greatest Star Wars song, the Eye of the Tiger of the Ewok world, Yub Nub. Except, of course, for kids born after the 80s who got the world music-y Enya backing track victory celebration. Those poor bastards. Enjoy your food trucks. Uh, that's enough of that. That's the plot of Return of the Jedi, everybody. Well done, boys. Congratulations. I would say that Yub Nub, I see the comparison with I Have the Tiger from the Rocky franchise, but I feel like Yub Nub is the Endor version of We Are the Champions, where that's the song that plays every time anything related to Endor wins a championship. You hear that song right into We Are the Champions. It, it Maybe it's it's that's the We Will Rock You to the, the newer versions, We Are the Champions. However you want to slice it. I actually enjoy both songs, but Yub Nub, obviously, that's the one that you want to celebrate with. Come on. As a a kid going out of the theater, that's that's the song. I want to talk about a bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff with the movie, but the first question I have coming out of our plot talk, who is the better wingman, Chewbacca or Goose? Ooh. They both (laughs) suffer from a incredible amount of loyalty that is sometimes to their detriment they're willing to take shots for their pilot maverick or han solo i feel like you like goose is great but goose is like that that athlete whose career was cut short by injury whereas chewbacca is tim duncan he's been playing forever at a high level maybe doesn't move around as well as he once did but still can get you a clutch bucket a clutch block he's there to do the dirty work but he can also be a star and he's really tall like tim duncan but he kind of needs a david robinson or a tony parker to get to the next level well i mean does goose get into top gun without maverick come on paul i'm I'm, I'm agreeing with you 
listen, uh, 1983, we mentioned a number of times is when this came out. It was moved from May 27th to May 24th to coincide with the day the original Star Wars came out in May. The budget is $32.5 million. Again, hilarious for today, but <laughs> not crazy, I guess, back then. I don't know. They, at this, but this time, it's entirely funded by Lucas. Wait, wouldn't that have been an outrageous budget at the time? Yeah. I mean, probably. 35? 1983? I don't know. That sounds fairly hey, I guess high budget, right. I guess. You could get a gallon of gas for a nickel and a song. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, at this point, Lucas can use ILM to do all the visual effects. They just saved a ton of money right there. But I think the, one of the producers said they saved about $18 million just in doing that. It makes $374 million in, in its initial run. It's the number one movie of the year. And $475 million total after the re-releases and special editions. And it's the first film to gross over $20 million in its opening weekend. So $32.5 million. At the end of the first weekend, you're feeling pretty confident. Yeah. You're going to make that budget back. Yeah. So that's a good run for Return of the Jedi. And again, there's so much pressure on this movie because it's closing out this trilogy. We have these two beloved films in canon already. Plus, as you all intonated earlier, Empire Strikes Back posed so many sort of open-ended questions where I guess we accept that Darth Vader is Luke's father. There might have been some talk. I was too young to remember it, but it, there might have been some talk as to that's just Darth Vader trying to play a Jedi mind trick on Luke that's... and just trying to mess with his head. But you also had, like, who is Lando Calrissian really? Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Poor Billy Dee Williams, for those three years, he could not wait for Return of the Jedi to come out because anytime he went in public, he'd have somebody coming up to him being like, hey, what the F, man? You're a traitor. And so he could not wait for Return of the Jedi to get released. <laughs> yeah, redemption. And that, how cool was it, him dressing up? All the cool machinations of their plan, like, really played, like, gangbusters as a kid because it's, like, it's all spy stuff but made for kids. Like, oh, here I am in disguise, kids. You know, like, that stuff is awesome. <laughs> in his defense, that mask is very hard to breathe in. And so occasionally you just need – it's like we all were walking around with masks for the last couple of years. You just take it off and you just get a few breaths of fresh air and then you go back back into hiding yeah now you mentioned it's the last one it's the all this anticipation comes up and so it's your favorite of the three and i know you have a take on that that you mm -hmm. mentioned in your stand-up routine so go ahead just explain to us why this is your favorite of all the star wars but for me it's the first one this is your favorite why so mark ellis two simple words paul we won we did it <laughs> And we didn't win like we won in 77, where, hey, it's a nice victory, but we still got to go to this ice planet to hide. We just had a giant W, and then the Empire's like, don't worry, we still have the might of us and the dark side on our side. We got all these gigantic superstar destroyers. You're still a little pitiful band. And so you can't really compare this new Death Star, which, by the way, it is so on brand for the Empire to rebuild the exact same thing that got destroyed. That is Jerry Jones. That is Elon Musk. That is any rich person on Earth saying, I'm going to do what I want. I will just rebuild the thing just to troll everybody. Yeah. It's the corporate logo almost. Yeah, it's like, yeah, we're going to stick with that. And also, look at all the trouble they went through to get the plans for this thing to begin with, to design this thing. They had to make friends with the creatures on Geonosis to get them to build. The they went through so much trouble. It's like, well, they're just going to scrap that. You know, or and, and Jen Urso's dad, you know, Galen Urso, were they going to just scrap all that work and just go, well, okay, let's think of something else. They, 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 they made it better. It's the same thing. Like, like when you demolish a football stadium, guess what? You're building a new one and it's going to be bigger and it's going to be better. You're telling me. It's still going to be oval. 
the Texas Stadium was was as tough to destroy as New Jerry World is? No, they were built, and this Death Star wasn't completed, so it kind of looked like like a kick-ass convertible in outer space. It had like the top down, or it looked like the '80s after disco with a destroyed disco ball because everybody took a baseball bat to it. There's a lot of symmetry between what was happening in 1983 and the look of this new Death Star. One of the many things I appreciate about this movie. Oh, kind of an El Camino vibe, too. It almost likes the front part, and then there you kind go. of got the back out. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> Here's the issue that I have with Return of the Jedi, is that you can't pull off the way that Obi-Wan Kenobi just outright lied to Luke Skywalker, unless you are Sir Alec Guinness. If you're a kid watching this and you get in trouble, don't tell your parents, oh, well, you see, I'm right from a certain point of view. Don't do that with your significant <laughs> other. It's not going to end. I didn't cheat on you, but from a certain point of view, it was, don't, it's, it's only works if you're Sir Alec Guinness. But when you think about it, I didn't cheat on you. When you really think about it, I also didn't cheat on you. <laughs> and, and then that ain't you know, going nowhere. I, I, I didn't really cheat on you. And oh, by the way, you have a sister. Just just completely <laughs> changed the topic. <laughs> well, let's go back to the first time you saw this movie. We talked in, in going through all this about how you had to wait three years for this and that. The whole yeah. thing from 77 to 83. That was me because I'm not as old as Roca, but getting there. <clears throat> we love you, John. I saw all three of these in the theater. So the whole journey I was supposed to take, I took. What was the first time you saw this movie? And how did the whole trilogy layout for you mark i was a little fashionably late to this shindig if you will so i first saw empire strikes back and return of the jedi on air force bases Ooh. um there was like a little movie theater setup so i want to say i probably saw return of the jedi for the first time in 1984 because it would have its like theatrical run and i think it was re-released in theaters a few different times but then the air force would get it like the military would then get right. to run it but you obviously like can't run it on an air force base you know, simultaneous with its opening weekend in theaters in May of 83. So I want to say probably 84 is the first time I saw it. And I kept going back to my parents and saying, can we can we watch the once we had it on VHS? I just wanted to watch the skiff part over and over and oh, over again over and over. And oddly, I always seemed to nod off watching that movie. I'd come home after school. It's the movie that I learned how to use a VCR with. And I would always pass out right during Yoda's death scene. And so Still to this day, it's it's a sad moment, but it's also just a peaceful way to drift off into dreamland is watching Yoda just kind of disappear. It, there is another skywalk. It's kind of nice to fall asleep to that. Well, that's kind of <laughs> funny that the timing of that is actually perfect. Like for a child who's you know probably tired or needs a nap or whatever, like you're going to get the first half hour in before you're kind of getting a little tired anyway. So that first act break where you, I could see you conceivably falling asleep at the same time as Yoda every time you watch that. I'm yeah. good with Yoda passing away because he lived a long life. But if you make it too deep into Return of the Jedi, you're not going to sleep. Or you're going to have nightmares if you are after you ball your eyes out for, I mean... I know they had to raise the stakes, but I, you could kill all the rebels you want. The Ewok dying, it, it just, it's oh. still, I can't do it. Don't kill the dog. Don't kill the Ewok. They went there. They went there. I saw this one <clears throat> at a record six times in the theater. It was only to be broken by Temple of Doom, which I saw six times in a week. Oh. This was the Oneonta Theater, downtown Oneonta, where I grew up. I kind of cried at the end because I thought, that's it. That's it. That's it. No more Star Wars. Maybe that's it for Star Wars. Like, I like these people. So you got you get the comics, you get the novels, you do what you can, but that's it. And we've said it before, that was the end. There were rumors, if you read Starlog magazine, that, oh, he's got three more planned out. 
But then as of 86, 87, you're like, oh, that's never happening. They don't wait this long to make movies. You know, we had three years or whatever. So by the time you get to the rumors in 97 that he's going to make a new Star Wars movie, I was just like, bullshit. <laughs> no way. It's not happening. So when I saw the trailer for Phantom Menace, I was like actually, you know, blown through the wall because I that just was never going to happen. I lost my mind because we had been reading Star Wars for the last 10 years. Can you children imagine the mm. suffering that happened as a Star Wars fan <laughs> in the late 80s and early 90s? Because you're watching George Lucas's career and he, and he produces Willow and Howard the Duck and stuff like that. But it's odd because he was on set at Jurassic Park visiting his friend Steven Spielberg, checking out this new dinosaur movie. He's looking at the dailies. He's looking at the CGI technology they're going to use for the dinosaurs. And that's sort of when the spark happened in his head. Like, I can do anything I want with these movies now. But the big thing for me was was two keys that were coming back to Star Wars. One, ironically, it was George Lucas directing a small film starring Brian Ben-Ben of HBO's Dream On fame called Radioland Murders. And even though Radioland Murders had absolutely nothing to do with Star Wars, it was this screwball comedy. It was George Lucas directing a movie, and it's like, oh, this guy's still around. This guy's still around. And then when he started tinkering, say we went about the special editions, super exciting time for me to see that new footage incorporated in the original movies because that meant that George Lucas, the director, was back in the gym getting the rust off and tinkering with these new toys that he didn't have at his disposal 15 years ago. And so just to watch that, to watch the job of the Hut scene, to watch a new band play a job as Palace, it's like, wait a minute, he's, we, we, we got something going here. And he had a quote that I remember reading in a newspaper at my buddy's house that now with CGI and the way it's gone since Jurassic Park, Yoda can get up and walk around. And I remember reading that being like, wait, 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 wait what? It, are, are, we, are we doing that? We're doing this. We're doing this. <laughs> I saw the Phantom Menace trailer when I was a freshman in college. My roommate showed it to me on the internet. First show I watched on the internet. And right. I paid to go see Meet Joe Black the next day. <laughs> I paid for Wing Commander to see it. That was the second trailer, and <laughs> I also Schmidt, did that. Yeah. I also did that. Yeah. Uh, oh, I should also mention, this is the first time, I think, in my life I did the watch the movie, not leave my seat, watch the next showing of the movie. Oh. They were always 7 and 9.15 every day at the Oneonta Theater where I grew up. So I would watch the 7. I just wouldn't go anywhere. Watch the 9.15. Go home after that. The whole time you're sitting there at that 7, as soon as the Jabba's Palace scene ends, you're like, all right, I want to watch the rest of the movie, but I'm staying here for the next showing. I need to see that again. And I should mention something else you talked about before, the idea that uh, is Darth Vader lying. Lucas supposedly had met with psychologists, child psychologists, to ponder the idea of the big lie like that. So then I guess he and Richard Marquand, the director, Wanted to bring back Yoda. He wasn't in the original script, but you bring him back to confirm that Vader is Luke's father. And then, hopefully, the idea that he was lying just is put to bed then between him and Obi-Wan confirming it. But that whole thing of having a discussion between installments of a movie was just so radically new. I mean, it was all we talked about after Empire was, what do you think Han's dead? Do you think, what do you think? I mean, the, the discussions, that you, or even after Star Wars, like, do you think Darth Vader's still alive when he flies off into space or whatever? Of course, I didn't know sequels existed at that time. When I found out they had made Empire Strikes Back, I was like, they made another one of those? But now by Jedi, I was like, oh, they're going to make another one, right? Yeah. Okay, so. here's a fun game to play. What if, if these movies came out in the modern era, what post credit scene would be attached to each oh. installment of the classic oh. trilogy? Because <laughs> Great I, question. At the end of Empire, you look at Luke's situation, and how does he come back such a badass at the beginning of Jedi? Something happened in there that... I think a, a Star Wars one shot might have uh, filled in a gap there, or maybe something in a post-credit sequence can tie in 
to something that turned him into a better trainee than he had been up to that point, who was, you know, less impulsive. I actually just would have borrowed the deleted scene from the Blu-ray Return of the Jedi, where I just would have ended the movie, and then you say directed by, you know, Richard Marquand, all, all this great stuff, and then we go to the post credit scene, and it's just a shot on Tatooine. It establishes it's Tatooine. We go inside a cave. You hear tinkering, and then all you see is a robotic hand building Ooh. a lightsaber, and the last shot you see in this post credit scene attached to Empire Strikes Back is the lightsaber ignition, and it's a green oh. blade cut to black cut to black there you go right and for the first yeah. for a new hope i feel like the post credit yeah, scene it would probably be a bunch of very nervous imperials on the deck of a star destroyer and then you hear like an elevator open or something and then out walks darth julius vader and he is pissed and he's just force choking people and he's like, send the probes or whatever. And then a probe launches, cut to black. There's nothing more entertaining in the entire Star Wars brand than the dispatching of commanders by Vader in The Empire Strikes Back. It is the most enjoyable thing in the world. He was like George Steinbrenner. Yeah. It's the best. I, yep. I could watch that all day. <laughs> I don't need the other plot even. I don't need Dagobah. Just Darth dispatching commanders. You, you just want the corporate turnaround at the Empire is uh, incredibly high. Darth Vader's on Indeed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, we mentioned it in some of the writing here about, you know, Luke's not a far cry from the kid kicking the can across the Tatooine when he shows up in. I think Luke Skywalker's character arc is one of the greatest in the history of cinema. I mean, if you're thinking like, oh, there's a, that alien burped, it's kind of dumb. You're not paying attention to that incredible achievement that Hamill yeah. pulls off. Even if you're like, oh, yeah. even more so if you're goofing on Hamill as an actor, you're like, oh, Tachi Station, pay attention because he plays the arc. He plays the long game so well in that, that you can't help but be impressed if you're really paying attention. And it's the thing about that performance too, is that, and, and people want to question Luke's decision-making in the sequel trilogy as well. Like, oh, that's not my Luke Skywalker. It's the guy is playing an arc. And after he so-called graduates and becomes a Jedi, then return of the Jedi, that's not the end of his journey. That's the beginning of a new journey where he's got to figure out not just how to maintain being a Jedi. It's like, it's cool. You got your membership, but now you have to be a leader. And so there's going to be another career arc that goes with that, that we see play out. I think brilliantly so in the sequel trilogy, but th that initial run, and that's one of the things I point to with Empire Strikes Back versus Return of the Jedi, is that look, we got an all-time spoiler moment with I Am Your Father, but the lightsaber battle at the end of Return of the Jedi, I could easily argue that it's even more emotional, and it's more touching, and it's more dramatic, and it's better shot than what we see in Empire Strikes Back, and I love that battle. I love the look of the red lightsaber and the blue lightsaber, but I also love the green and the red going at it in a very, very hostile environment. It brings me chills, and, and the music that's playing, the chorus oh. that you hear, it's perfect. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> John Williams bringing new themes again. He could rest on the old themes. Between all that uh, that he brings in with the choir during the lightsaber duel, the space battle music brand new that's so good yeah he's the best ever amazing let me throw out some names that could have directed return of the jedi spielberg was considered he had his own run with the dga like lucas did so i don't think he could do it oh right david lynch's response next door next door adam if you may next door to zero interest please next door to zero interest i have next door to zero interest george there you go Thank you. 
And uh, <laughs> I kind of want to do David Lynch if he did direct it. Now, Jabba's going to be over here. And what I need you to do, <laughs> yeah. can I get the pig guy? The pig guy's going to stand here and he's going to fall in there as well. Okay. And a little uh, crumb cake in his tail. Crumb- give us a laugh, a big laugh. Can I get some yuzums in the background? I want to see his version of Jabba's Palace. I, I would like to see oh, that. Oh, that's true. I mean, I mean, these are the fun conversations to have now, and we still enjoy yeah. having them some, you know, 30, 40 years on, is what does the Spielberg Return of the Jedi look like? I feel like the Spielberg one is very close to what we actually got, and I think yeah. the David Lynch one just would have been so bonkers gonzo. I just don't think it would have fit. I don't know if you're going to mention Brian De Palma, who is sort of always in the background of a few of these movies. He helped write some of the crawl text. Yeah. So, you know, he was one of those guys that was around that time, but I wouldn't trade the movie we got for anybody else's vision. Can you imagine Paul Verhoeven's Return of the Jedi? He was in the mix. As yeah. well. Wow. <laughs> I mean, look, he was a known entity. Yeah. Obviously, we saw what he can do with action later in his career. We also saw what he could do with clubs that feature dancing. Jabba's Palace features dancing. <laughs> you could right. have a showgirl's take. Even though he didn't get a chance to direct Return of the Jedi, he spent his career making Return of the Jedi as different movies. You got your Starship oh. Troopers, you got your Robocop, and of course, Showgirls. What kind of alien is Ula, Adam? She's a Twi'lek, I believe. So Show yes. Twi'leks would be Paul Verhoeven. Show Twi'leks, right. Show make Twi'leks. that movie. <laughs> Stop trying to remake The Last Jedi and make that movie. <laughs> Return of the Jedi is the first time we hear Blue Harvest employed as the working title of the production to shield the production from fans and press and also to prevent price gouging from service providers. Yeah, I can imagine, hey, we're Star Wars. Can we shoot here? Whoa! You know, and then they just yeah. ask ask a ton of money, but that's supposedly, you know, the third reason outside of press and uh, fan shielding. By the way, I, I also I am expending all of my stored up Star Wars knowledge that's no longer going to be used for trivia. I meant to throw in at the end of that uh, Twi'lek thing, and the other dancer, the larger one's name was Yarna Del Gargan. <laughs> okay. Okay. Look, you're you're winning the match, Adam. You're you're finally <laughs> getting the W that you've so coveted in the Star Against Wars me? division. Yes, you'll take it. In your heart. <laughs> Real quick fact, Steadicam Inventor. Garrett Brown personally operated the speeder bike shots as he walked through a disguised path inside a forest, shooting at less than one frame per second by walking at about five miles per hour and projecting the footage at 24 frames. The motion scene in the film appeared as if it were moving at about 120 miles per hour. Pretty ingenious for 1983. Did you ever see the making of Return of the Jedi? There is a famous making of where you can see the guy walking through the forest and another guy sort of guiding him and really good making of. And it's really cool to watch the puppet operators underneath the size noodles in the band, the, the yeah. Max Rebo band. It's really cool to watch that, how they did. They were kind of on like the second floor and then the operators are on the first floor with like sticks, yeah. just like making them dance and stuff. I had it on VHS. I had it on tape when I was a kid. No idea where it lives. If it's on Disney Plus, somebody let me know. I'd love to go back and watch it again. The crazy thing about the third act in Return of the Jedi is we have two insane sequences where tell me you feel safe letting your child get on a speeder bike in Endor, and then also a pilot. I mean, we talk about how great Top Gun Maverick is. At the end of the the mission, at the end of that movie, the hard deck is 100 feet. You have no room for error when you're flying through scaffolding in the Death Star. Literally none. At least with the first Death Star trench, you can go up, you can go down. You got nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. 
Yeah, and then trees on Endor. It's like, where are you going to go? I mean, yeah, I guess you could still go up there, but it's like, it's, they've taken the, the complications of the sequences in the first two movies and said, okay, how do we up it and up it and up it? You know, trees and now scaffolding and all that stuff. It's awesome. Yeah. Just saying, Wedge had a good time at that party on Endor, and he earned it. In terms of casting, Adam, here we go. I'll put this to you. Yes. Uh... No, no, no. You don't have to be David Lynch. Oh, okay. Kenny Baker does double duty with two roles in the film as R2-D2 and who? Ooh. I have a guess. This is a fun game called Adam, who the hell are oh, these oh, no, characters? He's, he's going to be an Ewok. I'm going to say... I'm going to uh, say Paplu. Paplu. Yeah. Paplu. That is correct. Yes, yeah, so it was a stuntman who did the shot where he's flying, hanging onto it. They actually tipped the bike up vertically and the guy hung from it and then they just moved the uh, shot sideways to make him look that was a stunt man other than that kenny baker nice very, very well done he had a kenny baker because I, I was a huge fan of time bandits as well and kenny baker's in that i think can't remember his name in that fidget maybe but when i thought of pat Blue, i thought oh he does have that sort of kenny baker mischievousness when he's crawling the way he climbs on stuff and everything yeah he knows <laughs> low grade too regal you know uh there, there's a playfulness to r2d2 and to pop Blue. Yeah, the, the guy who plays Low Gray. All right, wait a second. This is kind of crazy. <laughs> Paul's got facts. <laughs> well, because the amount of doubling up on, in this cast is crazy. They're still trying to save a buck, I think, and just double up on actors. Simon J. Williamson played both Max Rebo, a Gamorrean guard, and Mon Calamari. Paul Springer and Hugh Spite also played Gamorrean guards and a Mon Calamari, while Springer also played Reese and Spite played Elam. Adam? Ooh. Elon. Elon Musk? I don't know. No, I don't know. No, that's some the other... former kicker for the Broncos. Jason Elam is who Jason he played. Elam. That's who it is. Jack Elam. Jack, Jack Elam. <laughs> Tim Rose puppeted Akbar and Salacious Crumb, while Mike Quinn puppeted Nine Numb, which I didn't know was also a hybrid of sometimes puppet, sometimes person. See, I learned that this year. I found I, out I learned this it year. Researching. Yeah. I always thought that was an actor in a suit, and I just, like, somebody posted some special effects guys, like, here's me making the puppet. And I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, movie magic so yeah again points if you follow all this but mike quinn puppeted nine nun reese and wall cabashite now you're making them up both played size noodles quinn also assisted frank oz with yoda along with david barclay and david greenaway finally job of the hut was puppeted by barclay quinn toby philpot and mike edmonds who also played low gray and other actors often did the voices for all these characters in the case of jabba and uh Hieronymus Bosch. I think you're up to 10 pointers in Star Wars trivia at that right? point. Uh, what are the five people that David Johnson plays? In, uh, in <laughs> but, uh, you're here already. We'll put you in and have you do this too. It's kind of a cool thing. Well, I, I love it. It's just such a golden era for puppeteers who had, a, prior to the Muppet Show, maybe would have been in completely limited use. And so now you've got Jim Henson, then you've got Lucasfilm and their collaborations and stuff. And it's like, you know, but model makers and special effects people, none of these jobs existed uh, six years prior. You know, it's, it's kind of crazy. And the outer space battle is just epic. And it really is a masterclass in how to show multiple action set pieces, you know, back to back. You got the action going on in Endor and the Emperor's, you know, man cave. And then you also have this epic outer space battle that still to me is the gold standard in outer space warfare. It just looks so good. The speed, the fluidity, and I love A New Hope, and I think it still looks great. It holds up. Empire Strikes Back, sort of, you could see the progress, but Return of the Jedi, what a home run the look of that outer space battle ended up being. It's so good. 
all the TIE fighters coming at the Millennium Falcon yep. is just such yep. a triumph. You're like, I used to wait for that shot. I was like, that shot is awesome. They raised their own bar, and I got facts yeah. on that. 900 special effects shots were used, and this is the result of 20-hour days and six-day weeks. And they had to meet their own level of excellence that they previously said they had to better it and the climactic battle sequence had more optical effects in one scene than had ever been previously committed to film so they set records why it's the goat they do it's why it's the goat and that's like classic you see this in geniuses like i'm kind of obsessed with walt disney because the first couple is snow white pinocchio and then dumbo i believe you can watch them figure out what is the most impossible thing to animate so it's water in pinocchio and they're like Major water sequence and, you know, like it, it, whatever the hardest thing that nobody could ever crack the code, then that's what they move on to in the next one. And the same thing with this. It's like, I think we said in our Empire Strikes Back thing in Star Wars, it's all the ships and, you know, going towards one thing for the asteroid field. It's hundreds of things coming at one ship, you know, like it's just like, well, how can we challenge ourselves? You know? Yeah. Enough of this shit. This is about Harrison Ford, right? Yeah, it's the Harrison, it's the Ford Fiesta. Ford. So there was talk of whether he would even return. You know, he yeah. spent his career trying to kill off all of his characters. So at one point, that was something he pitched to die in self-sacrifice. It eventually got scrapped. Ford said, and this won't surprise you, Lucas didn't see any future in dead Han toys. <laughs> so... <laughs> Corpse Han is not the, the, the toy <laughs> yeah. you want under the Christmas tree. And yeah. at that point, they hadn't even made an action figure of the Carbonite one, so a half-dead Han was still a big seller, we were saying at the top of the show. And the idea of Luke wandering the Earth like Kane and Kung Fu was scrapped. That's originally how the f- it was going to end. He wins the day, but like wanders off like oh, as a lone Jedi warrior style. to save whatever's next in the world or something. Wow. He did the next day. I mean, he slept with whoever he hooked up with at the Endor party because everybody hooked up everybody hooked up that night and then the next morning he was like bob seger he was up with the sun and gone with the wind off to the next adventure but the thing about han solo in this movie and harrison ford's portrayal of the character it always gets maligned for whatever reason that like oh he was just mailing it in i don't see one shot that harrison ford is mailing in in this movie he's playful he's still a smuggler self he's still got that rebellious streak no pun intended he's madly in love so he's more of a puppy dog now you could say big bad bill is sweet william now as far as han solo's career arc because he was just this badass renegade in the first one and now he's a little more of a domesticated animal because he's got all that puppy love for leia who else could deliver this line better hey it's me that's some Harrison Ford stuff right there. That's that's the quarterback <laughs> on the sideline saying that and then running out and throwing a pick six because he steps right. on a twig like the next shot. Well, that's true. Yeah, right. Yeah. There's <laughs> <was> an interception. <laughs> uh, other things cut. Ewoks were supposed to be Wookiees in the original script. Apparently. Yeah, that's expensive. And then he made up for that in the prequels. And the only major scene cut from the film is a sandstorm that hits as the heroes leave Tatooine. It's actually right. in the 2011 Blu-ray, but I don't think I've seen it. And there's, wait, it says here there's a scene where Vader force connects with Luke while he's building his saber. Have you seen that scene? That's what I'm talking about, yeah. That's I mean, what you're that's, talking about. Here it is. Yeah. I, I forgot I looked that up on Wikipedia. You know, everything Wikipedia says is true. You know? It's my favorite deleted I've scene in Star scene. Wars. I'm glad it's not in it. Right. Um, because nothing against how quickly we get new movies and spoiler alerts and all that stuff now, but there was something awesome about waiting until R2-D2 shoots the lightsaber to Luke. Because again... Luke lost his hand 
and his lightsaber. That's kind of an important artifact to have. And so you see this thing that R2-D2 opens. You're like, what the hell? Is that a, is that a light? Yeah, that's a freaking light. It's green. It was just such a cool ramp yeah. up. And to this day, it's why I prefer green M&Ms over every other kind. Oh, is that so? I've always heard they <laughs> taste better. Well, just as long as there's no brown M&Ms in my glass. Which one's non-binary? Now I get confused. One of them has anxiety now. I don't know. <laughs> so the aftermath is, we told you what the film made, $475 million. Eventually it becomes selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. For Oh, this is always a fun game. Adam, Mark? Yes. It's the number one movie six of the film's first seven weeks. What film beat it out for number one in Jedi's oh. fourth week in theaters? What overtook it? Oh, oh my boy. gosh. So summer 83. Became number one for one week, then went away and Jedi popped back up top. Oh, that's crazy. The summer of 83. Jaws 3. Might have been too early. It, it, was it a sequel or an original property? Sequel. It's a sequel. It is not Jaws 3, though, but it is a sequel. It's not Treasure the Four Crowns. I'm going to say... Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. I think this is the same year. I'm going to say uh, The Search for Spock. That was... Was that 84? Yeah, I think it was 84. But it feels like it's wrong. Superman 3? Oh, Superman okay. 3 is your answer. Oh, All right. Oh. Richard Pryor, underrated performance. I'll take your word for it rather than watch it again. But your word goes a long way. And it gave us the plot of Office Space. <laughs> My dad would take me to movies every Sunday. And every once in a while, we would do a double feature. And I'm proud to say that we did Superman 3 and Jaws 3 on the same day. <laughs> wow. That's a cool dad right there. It's good parenting. Right. Yeah. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> at, at the Oscars, Richard Edlin, Dennis Murin, Ken Ralston, Phil Tippett, you know, all the names. We know these names. That's the other <laughs> thing. Who knows the names of who made Godfather 2 or 3? Like, I mean, I know we know. Well, okay, that's a very famous movie. But I'm just saying, like, your average movie that comes out in 83, I can't name one person that made Jaws 3. Superman 3. We know Phil Tippett. We know all, the, all these, like, you know. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember who did the costumes for Krull. You know, that, that's why this is so special right. is <laughs> you, you know every crew member from the classic trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> they win a Special Achievement Award for Visual Effects Oscar, and it's nominated for Best Art Direction, Sound, Sound Effects Editing for Ben Burt and Score. So it only won the special one, nominated for four others, but did not win. But I always think Williams should win Score. I don't even know what beat it. I'd have to look it up, but I'm sure it's unworthy. It's going to hurt my heart. Ah, uh, he didn't win Best Score for Return of the Jedi? Come on! <laughs> Uh, then we get books, book and record sets, comics, the Ewok Adventure, oh, yeah. and Ewoks the Battle for Endor movies. Uh, have we seen and liked these? I loved them. I yes. loved them when I was a kid because they had a cool villain. But the thing I always remember is being terrified of little puddles and like tiny ponds because they might be that like fire acid water that was the moat guarding the castle that they have to jump into. They like throw a stick in it and it just eats the stick right up. It's like the, the acid blood from a xenomorph. It's like a little river of that. And I always remember that scene. And then also the beginning where the principal from the breakfast club dies. Right. Paul Gleason is in the, the better of the two. <laughs> he eats it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the one with the cool monster. That's the good one, whatever the second one is, where I think it's Battle for Endor. Battle for Endor, yeah. Yeah, and that's got a bunch of villains and masks and stuff. They really upped the game in that one. Wilford Brimley in that one. Caravan of Courage is the lesser of the two. The only Star yeah. Wars thing I like, I won't watch is the holiday special. I watched like the first 20 minutes of it, and it made me like Star Wars less. And so yeah. it was kind of like the tape in the ring. I showed it to somebody else, and so I got it off my conscience, and that person probably <sighs> died a week later. Now, the weird thing about the holiday special is that it happened. I was a child. I was in front of the TV. Could not believe I had no quality 
understanding of whether that movie was good or not. <laughs> Star Wars was just on my TV. And, you know, in order to see Star Wars, you had to go to the theaters if they were re-releasing it again or, you know, you didn't know. So that was a crazy thing. And then for years after I told my friends there was a Star Wars TV show and nobody believed me and there was no internet until I got to a comp, my very first Comic-Con and I went to the big video thing and I go, was there a Star Wars TV show? And he goes, you mean the holiday special? And I go, that's it. And I felt not crazy <laughs> for the first time in years. Yeah. <laughs> then he had to look at you kind of crazy going, do you want this? So yeah. you're still kind of crazy well, in yeah. your own right. That's true. Yeah, not a trip you want to take, all right? Despite the fact that you, you kind of get to watch Chewbacca's dad masturbate to VR porn, it's you really do. not worth it. <laughs> Shades of THX 1138 in that scene. I don't know for anybody, anybody THX fans out there, right? You know what I'm talking about. Yes, Weird. I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some quick last facts. The special edition comes out. Of course, we have extended Jabba's Lounge musical number. Different closing music, about five minutes added to the film. I like the new look of the Sarlacc, though. I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. It's a little more uh, a toothier. A little more Audrey, too. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah, you got, like, your like tentacles coming out. I'm telling you, it was fun to watch Lucas Tinker. 2004, Sebastian Shaw gets replaced by Hayden Christensen in the Force Ghost sequence at the end. Nope. You're not a fan? I'm out. Nope. I agree. Uh-uh. Not accepting <laughs> it. No. <laughs> 2011, Darth is, no is added when he kills the Emperor. Unnecessary. Um, no. That seems like a troll move. Everyone didn't like that from Revenge of the Sith, and then he puts it into Jedi after we <laughs> yeah. all said, that's stupid. That's a troll move. Here's the defense I'll lob at that, is that if I had to take one, no, I'd rather take it there than when he becomes Darth Vader, because yeah. I don't want to see Darth Vader ever get emotional over anything once he's Darth Vader. But this was the Darth Vader. This was the evil sort of coming out of him, and he was becoming back to man from a machine at the end of Return of the Jedi. So it would make more sense for him to have no there, for me anyway, but I didn't like either one. Yeah. Didn't and he walks blink. He added that, too, uh, in, oh. by 2011 realism which nobody has any need for in cinema but they all think they do it's uh, <laughs> sad and the last thing i saw on wikipedia see and this is the only see also see also princess leia's bikini nice wikipedia so there you go i mean it, right. it was an awakening for m multiple generations <laughs> it's iconic you know it's and also you know the one thing in the argument about like oh we don't like show i understand like all right don't make action figures of it or whatever but Job is a bad guy. Like it's it's not supposed to be like, oh, you know, I kind of like this job because he's making her show some skin. I don't think that was the thought anybody had. <laughs> Slavery, kind of cool. <laughs> I have it on good authority that that day George Lucas was sick, and so he called Paul Verhoeven to come in and direct that one <laughs> shot. So that's probably why you get that showgirls vibe. Lucas did direct a lot of second unit stuff, which led Richard Marquand to say, "Yeah, this is like directing King Lear with." Shakespeare in the room. <laughs> you know? So that had to be intimidating. Yeah. To the Harrison Ford list of essentials, does he have righteous anger in this movie? Yes, he does. Trademark things. The clip that you dropped of him yelling oh. at Jabba. Oh, right. That's great righteous anger. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. Slimy piece of worm ridden filth. He'll get no such pleasure from us. Yeah. He, yeah. Boba Fett, it's more of a panic when he discovers that Boba Fett is there, but there's anger in that too, and it would be righteous. But I think most of his righteous anger aimed towards Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. And does he have smile and charm about him? It's all it's over the yes. place. Fly casual. <laughs> when he says, uh, I love you, and she says, I know back at the bunker, you know, it's like, ah, oh, that's just like, he really means it. You know, like, it's a great flip on the very good punchline of Empire. But yeah, it's a lot of charm there because he's just funny in this movie. 
how Harrison Ford is he in this then? In a percentage scale, 1 to 100. How Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford in Return of the Jedi? I would say he's a 90 out of 100, and the only reason I take 10 points off is just because the, the character arc, which I think is fitting, he is very subservient in the relationship now. Like, he's the, he's the stay-at-home dad to the working wife that is Princess Leia. Because when she says, I love you, and he says, I know, that's like every dude, like, yeah, yeah, that's how you do. And, and then three years, it just completely flipped. She's the one in power in the relationship, and he's just hanging on for dear life. Yes, honey, no, honey, I'm sorry, honey. That's who he is. He's a domesticated animal, and so you never think of Harrison Ford like that, but that yeah. is the way Han Solo needed to go. Yeah, it shaves a little of the lover boy off of it, which we get in Empire, which is, you know, a very Harrison Ford trait. When you say how Harrison Ford is he, how much lover boy's in there is one of the things. So, yeah, maybe I'd shave 10% off the 100% because Han Solo, Empire Strikes Back, I believe he went 100% with that one. And Raiders, I'm sure, as well. But, uh, yeah, it shaved just a little off. Uh, he's just a little muted as Han Solo, although funnier. You know, so I'd say I'd like say he's 100 percent in Empire and in Force Awakens. I think that is 100 percent Harrison Ford. Oh, yeah. When he says, uh, I'm thinking about it, I, I wouldn't be nice to you. Like all those sort of Lawrence Kasdan really knows how to write. Yes, he does. Uh, Han Solo, man. Yeah. Mark, didn't take much twisting of your arm to talk about Return of the Jedi. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. Always a pleasure. If this is why it makes sense to me to release the movies in the order that Lucas did with episode four, five, and six first, because in an alternate universe where Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith are your first three Star Wars movies released, and then we get this new trilogy, the final showdown between Luke and Darth Vader would not have been in front of the Emperor. It would have been back on Tatooine where the kid challenges the dad to a pod race. It would have been Luke versus Vader in a pod race on Tatooine. <laughs> that would have been the climactic closing of the six-film saga. And I got to say, I don't see the emotions coming out of me in quite the same way that the Emperor's throne room does to me. Yeah. That's a very valid point. And to Harrison Ford, who is watching, thank you. Continue to page me. My brother will eventually show up. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, let's get a little paging Mr. Ellis before we take you out of here. <laughs> Are we uh, going on that? Where'd it go? Did we lose I, it? I got it. Paging Mr. Ellis. Paging Mr. Ellis. You want to tell me Pee Wee Herman didn't study that line delivery when he gets to say, Mr. Herman, paging Mr. Herman at the end of... <laughs> Mr. Herman. There's well, he gets to call. act it. I guess he didn't get to say it. <laughs> And where else can people find you and all of your uh, nonsense? Across the world of social media, at Mark Ellis Live. If you want to get tickets, you can get tickets at MarkEllis.Live. I love how you fit movies into your stand-up, because that's not easy. I think Paul and I have both, when we've done our little stints of stand-up, we're like, well, I get a lot of laughs amongst my friends with my movie references, and then you go in front of a crowd, and you're like, these people don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, that's <laughs> why you, you got to chisel it like a piece of clay, like you're building a statue, because not every movie reference, especially in the world of Star Wars, in the world of MCU, and all these nerd yeah. things we get excited about, the general audiences, you, you got to walk them along sometimes. That's what I loved about doing my, my first special dog, Stepfather, in front of a crowd that was probably going to Star Wars Celebration that weekend in Chicago oh, where I filmed it and so I got nice. to get away with a lot of Star Wars related stuff so made my heart happy that's cool yeah yeah I go to other states and it turns out they don't talk about movies all the time <laughs> no. there so forget those <laughs> other states I have no time for them I'll visit them but I can't be there a lot and we got so spoiled because Paul and I make the most obscure movie references to crack each other up 
then suddenly those jokes started getting laughs from other people in the schmodown. It was like, oh, wait a second. We've met our people. I, I have it on good authority. That's the only reason why Paul came back to the States after his incredible trip overseas is that it, it just wasn't working on the Greeks the same way that it works here in Southern California. I told yeah. him, hey, look, you know, this uh, Halloween ends is opening up. Did you know, because it's trying to appeal to a new demographic, they, Mike Myers wears a Chris Pine mask. And I got nothing out of that. I got nothing from anybody in Greece. Uh, you got to make a, a Yorgos Lanthimos uh, reference or something. Right. You got to play to the crowd, man. Uh, yeah. Well, welcome home, Paul. It's always great yeah. to see y'all smiling faces. And uh, thank you again for having me. Thanks to all your great fan base. And continue to celebrate the lineage of Mosquito Coast star Harrison Ford. <laughs> oh, it's coming up. Thanks, yes. Mark. And that wraps Return of the Jedi. Okay, if I'm following along, next week will be Star Wars Episode 7. No, Paul, that actually doesn't happen for another 32 years. Why the hell is that? Because they have to do Episodes 1, 2, and 3 first. Ah, what the Christ. Christ.